2 Timothy chapter 3, and our text this morning is uh, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Now let us pray. Our Father, as we are gathered now around your word, we ask you for the help that only you can provide us, that your spirit would come and would incline our hearts toward your testimonies rather than our own selfish gain. Father, help us today to hear these words as from you. Help us, Lord, to continue to grow in our faith, to be equipped for every good work from what we hear from your word this morning. And Lord, we also pray for churches throughout the world gathered around your word. Lord, we pray for the churches in the Ukraine that Jamie has mentioned, Grace Baptist Church and the house church that she's a part of. Father, I'm sure they've probably met already today, but we ask you, Lord, that the word that they heard this morning would bear fruit in their lives and you would continue to help these churches to be evangelistic, to be alive with the gospel and have your spirit continue to sanctify them by the truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today in our world, there is a great conflict against authority. The common term that I kind of grew up hearing from my friends or from others in the culture was, of course, the question, who says? Who says? Well, you're supposed to do this. Oh, yeah, who says? Well, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, yeah, who says? It, 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 it is a question that is really getting down to words, right? There are these words that are claiming to be authoritative. But where does the, the authority come from? Well, the one who spoke in the words, the one who gave the words. Our culture right now is still in the midst of that conflict, of that trouble. The problem is, and it comes down to, authority. In our passage in, in 2 Timothy 3, Paul begins that chapter describing the state of the world in the last days, and friends, we're living in, in those last days. I, I encourage you to read uh, through the first, the first part of, the, of chapter 3, maybe later today, and, and, and see how Paul describes the state of the world in the last days. And he sums it up in verse 8 as those who oppose the truth. Those who oppose the truth. And then he gives us, at the end of chapter 3, what the truth is. He tells us who says. And of course it is 
the word of God, the only truth that will save, the only truth that will lead us to salvation. So our main theme from this passage is uh, whenever we read the Bible, we are reading the very words of God written to lead us to salvation and to enable us to glorify him in all, thring, in, in all things. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, going through the Evangelical Free Church's statement of faith, and we're on Article 2 of that statement of faith, and, and Article 2 declares our belief in the absolute authority of the Bible as God's Word, which is a very important stand to take in our current cultural climate. It, it is written on an insert in your, in your uh, bulletins. Uh, if you have that insert available, you can follow along as I read that article. This is Article 2 of our Statement of Faith. We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of His will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, the statement continues, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. And friends, this is a very strong statement on the Bible, one of the strongest I've seen in our uh, state of uh, Christianity today. But it's just restating what the Bible says about itself. Look again at our passage that we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where it says especially, All Scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We're going to look at this passage. I'll start focusing on verses 14 and 15. The heading I put over uh, these two verses, that the the Bible's main purpose is to lead us to know Christ and his salvation. So there is verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he begins there in verse 14 with a statement, but as for you, and that's making a contrast from what Paul wrote at the beginning of verse 8, describing those who oppose the truth. This letter here was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and the church Timothy was serving at the time in Ephesus. And Paul is making a distinction here between Timothy and the rest of the believers uh, from the people that Paul there described at the beginning of of chapter 3, those described as opposing the truth. And also look at verse 13, the, the, the verse that comes immediately before our passage. He says, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, and the believers, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Rather than trying to deceive your people with false teaching, he's saying, and being deceived yourself, to follow your own authority or someone else's authority besides the Lord Jesus, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed from the Scriptures. That's Paul's message in those verses. 
And this is a wonderful reminder here in these two verses of the incredible blessing of having the Bible taught to you from childhood. As well as the the great importance that we as a church have of teaching God's word to our children. I mean, that is something that we should definitely not take for granted, yet we so often do. Church-going families whose kids go to Sunday school can easily slip into thinking that, well, it really isn't necessary to, to read and teach God's word to our children in the home because, hey, I mean, they're learning the Bible in church, right? But if parents leave it up to other people to disciple their children, that usually leads to their children learning from their parents' example, that the Bible is only to be opened up and spoken about at church. And it really doesn't have any authority over the rest of our lives. The other danger is that parents will tend to just assume that their children are Christians without really knowing the state of their souls for themselves. Because, again, you you can't know for sure if they know the gospel or not if you never talk to them about the scriptures. So parents, and, and, and even grandparents, if you love your kids, and I know you do, then make sure that they are well acquainted with the sacred writings, with the holy scriptures, which, as the verse says, are able to make them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That is uh, the main purpose for all the scriptures. This is the reason why God has given us his word. It cannot be denied that it is a remarkable sign of God's grace and mercy towards sinners like us who in our sin would prefer not to have him rule over us. Hearing and reading the Bible is sufficient to make us wise for salvation. Now, uh, you say, but, but pastor, you know, there, there seem to be a lot of commandments written in the Bible. How do those lead us to salvation? Well, one answer is that the Bible, or, or the, uh, the purpose of the law in the Bible is to convince us of our need for salvation. We will not be convinced that we are sinners unless we are shown that we are by God's word telling us. In seeing God's law written in the Bible, we will recognize we have not lived up to what God's law says, that we have fallen short of God's glory, and therefore, as God's law says, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve his wrath falling on us because we have sinned against him. And there again you say, well, you know, there seems to be a lot of judgment and wrath in the Bible. How can can that lead us to salvation? Well, each description of judgment and wrath in the Old Testament is meant to show us our dreadful condition. It's meant to to, to put the fear of God in us and to show show us what our sins deserve. It helps us to see that, that unless God would have mercy on us, that we will all die in our sins like those whom God judges in the Bible. So it leads us to seek his mercy. For one thing the Bible also reveals is that all those who seek God's mercy and turn away from their sins, forsake them, that they will be forgiven. For as his word reveals, he is a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But the Old Testament is full of sacrifices and temple practices, Pastor. I mean, you know, there's a lot of strange things going on in the Bible. Yes. And those sacrifices and temple practices are all pointing us towards the ultimate sacrifice that God's Son made for our sins. It's preparing us for that. In fact, it is what the whole of the Old Testament is pointing us towards, the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ, to lay down his life for God's people as a substitute, as a sacrificial substitute for our sins and and, and to die for us so that our sins can be removed from us and that we can be forgiven. And then just as the temple was raised up again in the Old Testament after the exile, Jesus rose again from the dead to show that he has defeated death and hell and is the way to eternal life for all who repent of their sin and put their trust in him. So the whole story of the Bible reveals the gospel story. It reveals the story of God's salvation. We see creation and then the fall. And then we see God's continuing love for his people despite their rebellion against him. And then then we see our redemption through Christ. And finally, to the end of the Bible, we see the new creation and the restoration of all things through Christ Jesus. As John Stott put it, the whole Bible unfolds the divine scheme of salvation. All of Scripture is meant to lead us to salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So brothers and sisters, we need to learn from these verses here. The Bible is not given to us just to help us to win arguments against our secular neighbors. It was not given to us so we would feel good about ourselves. God gave us his word because we are lost in our sins and we need to be saved. His word reveals the way of salvation, which as verse 15 makes clear, is through faith or trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord. God's word leads us to Jesus. So when you pick up the Bible, whenever you read and study God's word, look for Jesus. Look for how God, how his word here is pointing you to your need for Jesus and how Jesus really is your all-sufficient Savior. Next in verse 16, mainly the beginning of verse 16, See that the words of the Bible were breathed out by God and written through the minds and hearts of men. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now this verse is one of the most important verses in helping us to understand how the words of the Bible are God's very words. The Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares that all Scripture was breathed out by God. That is, all the words of the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures, which had a direct connection to the Apostles, who had a direct connection to Jesus, God's Son, they were recognized as being authoritative, as being how Paul describes it here as breathed out by God. And this is a very unique word that Paul uses here in verse 16. It's found really nowhere else. It's a combination of the noun for God, that is theos, 
and the verb for breathed out, which is noustos, combined together, it is theonoustos, or God breathed. The King James Version translated this word as inspired by God. That was based on the, the, the Latin translation of the verse. Um, but really, since it's literally God breathed out or breathed out, scholars argue, and I think they have a pretty good case, that you know, rather than uh, saying it's inspired, it's maybe more accurate to say that the, the, the scriptures are expired by God because they're breathed out. But in our, in our mind, Society here, both words, either inspired or expired, kind of lead us away from what the word actually means. The Bible isn't a a collection of books which people wrote because, well, their thoughts on God and his salvation were so inspiring to them or so meaningful to them. It isn't like an artist who was inspired by the beauty of a sunset and so wrote a song about what he saw or how he felt. Rather, this word means that the words of Scripture have their primary source in God. They are God's words, breathed out from him. This is the basic doctrine of what our statement of faith calls the verbally inspired word of God. I'd like you to just turn a few pages to the right to 2 Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles. 2 Peter chapter 1. And there at the very end of that chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, we, we, we are given further help in understanding how this happened, how the Bible could be God's breathed out words. It says there, verse 20, 2 Peter 1, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here the Apostle Peter combines both the divine and the human origin of the Scriptures. God's Word was not just dictated from heaven and then copied down mechanically by by human copyists. Instead, as he says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the word for carried along is also used for a ship at sea, which is carried along by the wind. It's referring to how the human authors were were led by the, again, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in what they wrote in the Scriptures. The source of the Scriptures was not the will of man, but rather from the mind of God. Human authors wrote the books like Moses and David and Isaiah and Matthew, Luke, and Paul. But God worked through these men so that the words they wrote were exactly the words that God divined them to write. This means that the scriptures have authority as the very words of God. And if they are the very very words of God, then they are inerrant. They are are without error. They they are not wrong. They are not false. They will never lead us astray in what they say. For God's word is truth. You or I can stand before a group of people and truly declare, like the prophets of old, thus saith the Lord. Or, this is 
the word of the Lord. And as long as we are then reading from the words from a book of the Bible, then we can be confident that we are speaking the very words of God. What verse 16 again is telling us here is that you can trust these words. You can trust all the words of the Bible. You can believe every one of them. They will never lead you astray. These words can be believed in, in all that they teach. They can be obeyed in all that they require and trusted in all that they promise. All because they are the very words of God. Theologian J.I. Packer sums it up well for us when he wrote, What Scripture says, God says. Again, what Scripture says, God says. And he goes on, For in a manner comparable only to the deeper mystery of the incarnation, that is, the Son of God becoming man, the Bible is both fully human and fully divine. So all its manifold contents, histories, prophecies, poems, songs, written uh, wisdom writings, sermons, statistics, letters, and whatever else, should be received as from God. And all that the Bible writers teach should be received as God's authoritative instruction. And here's his application. Christians should be grateful to God for the gift of his written word and conscientious in basing their faith entirely and exclusively upon it. Otherwise, we cannot ever honor or please him as he calls us to do. The Bible, the words of the Bible, really are God's very words. Third, verses 16 17, the Bible will not only lead us to salvation, but will equip us to glorify God in everything we do. Look at verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now the word there for profitable could also be translated as, as useful. God has breathed out this word not only to, to lead us to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has given us his word in order to transform us into becoming like his son Jesus. Notice here too that this is a clear statement on the sufficiency of God's word. We don't need other words to go along with what we have in the Bible. God's word is able to make one who has been saved by God complete, that is, mature or, or lacking in nothing, equipped for every good work that God calls us to do. God's word will teach us what we need to know about who God is, about who we are, about sin or the fall of man, and how to be saved from sin. God's word will, will reprove us, it will correct us, for as people who constantly struggle against our sinful flesh, we need to be rebuked and corrected. God's word will do that if we read it and hear it preached regularly. God's word is also our primary training manual for becoming men and women of righteousness and godliness. We cannot live a holy life, a life that pleases the Lord, without knowing God's word and his commandments. In order to do that, we must take God's word seriously. Last night was a, a fun night in our house. Um, Greta's parents are here, so we had them over, and, and uh, Jamie was with us uh, last night as well, and we enjoyed some, 
some grilled burgers together, which are always good. And then after supper, uh, Jamie shared a newsletter with us from folks on the family, uh, dated back to December 1999. That was, of course, at the end of the millennium. And in the newsletter, James Dobson shared a little uh, a list uh, that he got from uh, the cable network A&E, for they had come up with the 100 people who made the biggest impact on the world in the 1,000 years between the year 1,000 and the year 2,000. And Jamie had us write the names of people who we thought maybe should be on that list, and then we went through A&E's list of 100 one by one. So, so think about it. You know, who, who might you put on that list? You know, who, who would be your number one person? The one who made the greatest impact on the world in the thousand years from the year 1000 to the year 2000. Now, A&E had done a study um, that they had pulled uh, uh, some secular scholars and historians and, and asked them, you know, who, who, who would you put on that list? And then they compiled all the names together and, and, and ranked them in order. And the top names on that list, number five, Charles Darwin. Number four, William Shakespeare. Number three, Martin Luther. Number two was Isaac Newton. Do you know who's ranked number one on that list? The person who was named the most influential, who had the greatest impact on the world in the last millennium, was Johann Gutenberg. What did he do? Some of you don't even know who he is. Well, all he did was create the mechanical printing press so books and letters and pamphlets and eventually newspapers could be quickly and easily printed. But his main reason for why he created the printing press was so that Bibles could be printed and multiplied and spread throughout the world so more Christians could have their own copy of the Scriptures. And soon after that, Martin Luther translated the Bible into German the language of the people in Germany, and, and Gutenberg's printing press multiplied them, and God's word was soon spread all around Europe, and then William Tyndale translated the Bible into English, the language of the common people of, of, of Great Britain, and he used Gutenberg's printing press, and soon enough Bibles were everywhere, multiple copies in every church and in every home. The Bible is today the best-selling book of all time. Of all books in the history of the world, no book has been more welcomed and more wanted than the Bible. No other book has outsold the Bible since Gutenberg's printing press first began printing them. No other book has been translated into as many different languages in the world than the Bible. Maybe you've seen videos of, of tribes who received their first Bibles, which are printed in their own language, and how joyous and excited these believers are to finally have them. It is, it is quite moving. If you want to see one, uh, look up the, the Kim Yall Tribe Bible later today on, on Google. Kim Yall, K-I-M-Y-A-L. Look that up on YouTube, and you'll see this video of this tribe in New Guinea receiving the scriptures in their own language, and how joyous and, 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 and honored they are to, to, to have God's word in their own language for the first time. 
But also, no other book has been more opposed in the history of the world than the Bible. No other book has been outlawed in countries in our world more often than the Bible. Even in our own culture here in America, no other book is more opposed by the secular media and educational institutions than the Bible. Why is that? Why is the Bible both more desired as well as the most opposed in the history of our world? Friends, the answer can only be because we all know that these words are unique, that that these words mean something, that the words in this book are not like any other words in our world. They, They do not have a worldly origin but a divine one. We know, we can sense it, that these words are authoritative in what they say. Just like what the guards said, uh, whom the priests had sent to arrest Jesus, when they came back and confessed that they couldn't do it, the reason that they gave was, no one ever spoke like this man. And friends, no book speaks like this book. For its words are from heaven. They are truth. They bear the authority of God, and this is why they are loved by God's people, but opposed by a world that hates God, by a world who refuse to submit to his authority, by a world who oppose the truth. So the question for you this morning is, what are you going to do with his words? How will you respond to his words? Will you submit yourself to their authority? Or will you continue to ignore them and even try to suppress the truth that it really is God's word? There's only one response that will lead you to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Only one response. That is to believe. That is to trust. And that is to obey. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we do come before you and ask that you would do your your work of confirming in our hearts the reality that the Bible is your very word. And Lord, may you help us to humble ourselves before that reality. And Lord, may our lives be more and more formed and shaped by the words that you speak rather than by the words of our world. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.